What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Modern Day Sniper Podcast. I'm Kalen Wojcik, and I'm going to be your host today. I'm flying solo. Uh, we are going to go through another episode of solo uh, without Phil. I know you guys are super bummed about that, but um, just to give you a little background on what Phil's up to, they just kicked off their first week of uh, the training season at uh, Long Range University with Gunworks, so he's been super busy, totally understandable. So um, we have a really, really special guest again today, um, Mr. Len Waldron. And uh, Len and I have been on several adventures, and we're going to introduce him really, really quick uh, in a second here. So for those of you guys who are joining us for the first time, uh, Modern Day Sniper Podcast, what is it? And what are we, what are we here to do? And for, uh, for those of you guys uh, that don't know, we are dedicated to discussing the most up-to-date and relevant information that surrounds the lifestyle and the journey of the modern-day rifleman. Uh, that means whether you're a military or law enforcement professional, a long-range shooting enthusiast, a hunter, or a precision rifle competitor, you're listening to this podcast because you're dedicated to the craft. And like us, you guys are forever students on this endless journey of becoming the most well-rounded rifleman you can be. Without further ado, what's up, Len? Kalen, how are you? I'm doing really good, Good man. evening. Um, so, uh, Len, you and I have been on a ton of adventures together, like really cool adventures um and when did we first meet extreme is is uh an overused word but we've been on to some extreme places right i mean in uh (laughs) yeah that's that's uh that's a term that is is painfully overused but we've been to definitely some extreme and cool places i think it was uh in your um your magpul days yeah uh on the right when you came on in their precision rifle so uh, you were phasing in. I think some of the others were phasing 2010, out. I think probably ten years. So it yeah, has been about yeah, ten years. About ten yeah. years. Ten years. Decade. So Going fast. A couple of things that I want to talk about here. Like we chatted about what we were going to discuss, and um, you know, you have been part of um, my curriculum since you know the Magpul days a decade ago, and so you, we've also trained together throughout those years. And so you've seen an evolution of the progression from what it was then to what it was now. And you've also been able to put a lot of the, you know, the skills that we discussed to test both of us together at the same time on, on lots of different hunts. So that's kind of what I wanted to talk about over, over today. And you also have um, a couple of projects that you're doing on your own that I know uh, you're kind of jonesing to talk about. So what are they? Uh, two things. One is we are um, headed next week. And that's part of the reason I'm here is sort of to, to, to practice and uh, knock the rust off. Shooting skills to be part of Wildcraft Season 2 on Amazon Prime. So uh, Season 1 was in Africa. Mm-hmm. Season 2 is in Texas. for uh, It's eight episodes. Uh, it, I, I'm not sure when it will actually release. Uh, season 1 is there now, so you can check it out. Uh, I was not on Season 1, but Season 2 will be a cast member. And it's eight episodes for um, out-ad hunting in Texas, in South Texas, right on the Mexican border. Which, for those of you guys who haven't hunted out-ad, um, they were recently just uh, um, recognized by the Wild Sheep Foundation, right, as as another species to be counted, I guess, if the little, you know, the, the whole badging thing going on with the Wild Sheep yeah, Foundation. Yeah, they were sneered upon by some of the people that are paying Fifty grand to go shoot a doll or gray stone sheep or something like that. But uh, as you and I have learned, they're equally as cagey, and and the land that they live in is um, uh, while less cold, no less rugged, Mm -hmm. and they know how to use the terrain to 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 avoid getting 
yeah, shot man. chased and et cetera. So, dude, the first time when I when we when you and I went to West Texas, we went south to Marfa, um, the old Alazan Ranch. Was that? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, super cool people too. Um, and this is all; these are all free range, all dad. And um, there's no there's not a high fence to be seen. As a matter of fact, you can see Big Bend National Park from where we were hunting. And I was blown away at the terrain when we were driving in from from uh, from El Paso. And I quickly realized that the gear selection of of what I brought for my own personal like footwear was way not the right choice. I right. brought really stiff, rugged mountain boots, and that was the wrong choice. And I ended up actually hunting in my sneakers for the majority of the time because the yep. rocks and all this shit. Um, but for those of you guys who have not had an opportunity to chase Audad, it is a really cool species of sheep, man. And they are just as cagey. Um, they are, they are, they have incredibly acute eyesight. They will bust you from a long ways out and they're very, very difficult to spot until you figure out what to look for. Um, and, uh, you know, shots are long. Typically they're long cause of that open country out there and, you know, that was one of those classes where it was a, it was a precision hunter package, where it was our two-day precision hunter pack, uh, shooting package. And then we tagged on a hunt on the end of it. And um, so talk to me about the difference in what you... Oh, I'm sorry. Continue with continue with the wildcrafting. I'm, I'm right. Well, so, so, we're, yeah, we're, so we're down there doing that. Um, it's myself, uh, Richard Mann, uh, the for whom this has been his brainchild, mm-hmm. uh, Ron Spomer, uh, also a well-known outdoor writer like myself, uh, or not, he's probably better known than me, uh, and and then uh, Luke Hartle, who's one of the editors at Gun Digest, mm-hmm. we're the four cast members, and it's, an, it's, like I mentioned, it's eight episodes rather than four, and so we're down there chasing out at around on the Mexican border, See, which is about as far south as you can get with, and gonna, still be in the U.S. You're going to be breaking it up like... Like each hunter, each 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 person chasing an odd ad has an episode, or how? how no, we're in pairs actually, okay. uh, and uh, I, I I think at this point Polaris is 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 one of the sponsors, although it's kind of bounced around. I think that's that's been finalized, and and so it's imagine uh, Top Gear or Grand Tour mm-hmm. uh, with uh, hunting. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of guys that know one another, and there's there's certainly to be some trash talking amongst. One another is not in a competition, but just in a, in, a, in a friendly sort of way. So it should be pretty funny. Yeah. But also in an exotic place that most people don't realize exists in the United States. I for right? sure did not. Like, that is super And as we talked about, it looks like Africa. Yes, it and, But does. it's right in the middle of Texas yep. or it's, right in the southern part of Texas. It's a really cool... Um, it's a really cool resource that you know, like you said, you didn't. I just didn't even understand existed. Yeah. So, so for those that don't know, Audad sheep or um, uh, Audad are um, also known as Barbary sheep, which is North Africa. Mm-hmm. So the same as the um, uh, the you know the, the shores of Tripoli, the Barbary pirates, yep. and all that mm-hmm. uh, from the Marine Corps fame and uh, the early 1800s. That basically Thomas Jefferson sent the Marine Corps over there to basically knock the pirates out of, of that part of the world, right? But it's yep. it's the mountains on the Barbary Coast is where they're from. And like many other exotic species, were dumped in Texas for a variety of reasons. It's a great climate. It, it mimics the climate mm-hmm. that they live in really well. And they're tough, right? They're tough. They have a tendon in their back that the native peoples in North Africa used to make basically rubberized baskets yeah man i remember right. remember it, that it's right. uh, we were cut we were, we we're trying to cut them. we ate one it's um, we're, gonna, we're gonna eat one on this trip and they didn't taste bad but it was like eating a 
I could admit. I could have played fucking hockey with that thing, dude. Yeah. That was terrible. <laughs> they all told yeah. me to, man. They were like, I don't know. I, I've just come from an upbringing of, look, if you're going to take the life of a, of a critter, you should probably you should probably consume it. And so when we went, um, the I was asking them, you know, how the, how they typically prepare these critters. And, and the guides, were, they were starting to chuckle and laugh. And, and uh, they were like, man, we don't eat these things. And I was like, wow. I think you and I were the only two that were insisted on eating it and yes. we ate the loin and the it was loin, yeah. and and i've been i've been working a little bit because i'm gonna eat, cook and eat another one mm-hmm. and so i've got some other i, I got another bring technique the milk bring the milk man we didn't have milk <laughs> we didn't have milk i've got uh <laughs> i'm gonna beat it flat and put poke holes Ooh, in it and we're go, gonna try go. and marinate it and see if we can get some acidic yeah. marinades to to break it down because if you were if you recall it was pretty thick but it was terrible yeah it, it's mean, uh the flavor like you said the flavor was there but it was just man you just chewed and chewed and chewed and it just never ended it was it was not good but but in short they're hard to hit they're hard to track um, well it's an african right. animal too so their their vitals their vitals are in a different location than many north american hunters are used to which was something that i had to you know kind of convince myself of and and, and make a cognizant effort with with regard to shot placement, mm-hmm. um, which is another big thing that, um, you know, we hear that stuff go around on the internet all the time when it comes to, you know, hunting nowadays because people are constantly stretching the limits. They're constantly pushing the envelope of what's possible. Um, and the term long-range hunting has been thrown around a lot. And so that's kind of the per that's kind of why I wanted to bring your perspective on the podcast to talk about that based upon like what you've learned in the past and to say, yeah, you know, like this is, this is how you designate what is ethical. And because I think that's everybody's individual responsibility. Don't you think it's like, you can't be responsibility and an individual choice. Yeah. What are you comfortable with? And, and, and there are some societal norms and, you know, we as we've seen with professional hunters, they they actually codify it and say these are the circumstances and 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 this is the behavior that we tolerate. And if you deviate from these norms, you're not part of mm-hmm. what we consider acceptable. Yep. Which which, you know, in all fairness, we could we we might be able to use some more of or use that as a model. Sure. To to, to educate or guide people. Yep. Who might not otherwise know what to think or know what's appropriate, but yes. Well, it's it's interesting because I've listened to both camps. You know, I've listened to both camps pretty regularly. Um, you know, I'm in the business of teaching people how to shoot stuff really far away, and you and I both know that once you develop a level of proficiency at that, uh, your your limiting factors or your limiting factors rather are the environmental conditions, right. or most notably the wind. And we have the ability nowadays with with modern technology, I mean, on this smartphone, a free application from Hornady, we tested it out the last couple sure. of days. And yep. it's just, it d- never ceases to amaze me how accurate that program can be with minimal inputs and, um, and be able to produce incredible uh, predictions within fractions of, of inches at great distances. That's not what is holding us back with regard to the science of it. But what, what else is there is your individual capabilities, right? Your commitment to learning that system uh, and train with it. And then understanding the impact of the environmental conditions, right? And so it's one thing to like shoot on your range 
and learn what the conditions are constantly and, con and consistently. But it's totally a different story to step outside that, some, that comfort zone into the mountains or into South Texas or West, Te West Texas or Africa and be exposed to something completely different and foreign that you've never seen before. So where do you, with regard to your skills and seeing the curriculum progress over this last you know, decade, where are you at with that? What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I would point out two things. Uh, one is the, the focus on fundamentals and how they never change despite the technology. We can talk about that on the, on the, uh, the SIG system that we, that we tested out, right? We still had to get a muzzle velocity. We still had to zero, and we still had to zero consistently. Mm -hmm. and, and the technology didn't work if you didn't do that, right? Um, and then the second is um, understanding ballistics well enough to know uh, what's going on in the air, how, how, how the projectile's moving through space, with enough clarity and enough consistency in understanding to get over biases of 20, 30, 40 years of my dad did it this way and my grandfather yeah, did it this way, That's right? Rough. Um, which, which is hard to do, right? And, and, and when, you know, when your grandfather's hanging big bucks on the wall, when there was a lot more bucks and a lot fewer people, it, 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 it tends to, to convince you that they're right. And, mm -hmm. Look for for their time period, a fixed six or a fixed four might have been enough, and and yep. and that was totally fine. It still doesn't it doesn't change the law of physics. This right? is true, right? Yes. And uh, and so um, uh, it's like Jeff Bezos says. Well, you know, the laws of physics are f fixed. Everything else is up for negotiation. Very true, right? Very very true. Uh, so I think shooting is kind of the same way, right? Where we can work around. A lot of things, physics we can't. Those are going to be those are going to be consistent. And I think one of the eye-opening experiences for me was, and I'll just give it a give an example. Um, the first time that I ever ran a six-five Creedmoor, mm -hmm. that bullet, that bullet shape, that bullet, that 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 grain, that caliber, that um, the long, skinny bowtail round. And I was at one of your first precision hunter courses and i'm on a range with known distance out to what 750 yep. 800 yards mm -hmm. and the wind calls and we had a lot of wind this was here in washington and we had a lot of wind and the wind calls that i was having to make according to ballistic calculators were one third to a quarter of the distance of the bigger bullets that were getting pushed around by the wind and basically my view at that point was well look i can work on my fundamentals of of the circle of components that you talk about frequently. I can work on my trigger pull. I can work on my uh, the the way the stock fits my face. I can work on adjustments of the optics. I can I can do a variety of things. But what I can't control is the wind. Mm -hmm. And what is a perishable skill is calling wind. And it's impossible to call wind that you can't see. And you and I have been in multiple conditions where you know the wind where we are. And with the wind that we can see is moving one direction, and the wind downrange is moving an entirely different direction, maybe faster. So the wind calls that those people were making was was two, two and three x at times different what I was than what I was making with a bullet shaped a certain way. Mm -hmm. So my view, my philosophy changed at that point to say I am more likely to blow a wind call than I am to. Uh, pull the trigger in a inconsistent fashion or mount the rifle in a consistent way. And if not, 
I can at least practice breaking the trigger consistently. Yeah. I can practice mounting the rifle consistently. I can't practice wind calls, and I'll probably get them wrong anyway. Right. So that was one of the one yeah. of the the big aha moments or lights coming on was like, okay, there are some technological things. Again, the laws of physics, right? If it's less susceptible to being blown around um, from a hunter's standpoint to make an ethical shot, um, and obviously there's multiple other factors of uh, penetration and energy uh, when it hits the animal. We can talk about that too. I've certainly had situations where that round didn't perform um, because of the species of animal and the, and the location and shot placement. But all other things being equal, that which is affected by the wind less is going to be more consistently lethal, mm-hmm. right? For sure. So that was a big one. Well, it's going to give people, uh, we, we are, I mean, I get students ask me all the time. Um, so Linda's Ranch, where, where we used right. to shoot uh-huh. out there. Um, I had a course, I had, I had a, a one course fire with a half a dozen targets over a, a giant, super deep, steep, narrow canyon. And the wind always ripped through that canyon, no matter what it was. Whatever the weather condition was, there was always wind through that canyon because of the pressure temperature differential. Um, and guys would the first the, the closest target was twelve hundred meters. Is a you know long range mm-hmm. course, and everybody would take a wind reading. You know, everybody's got their kestrels out. You know, reading the wind, and they would shoot. Uh, and think they got it dialed and the bullet would hit, you know, freaking two feet downwind from where they're aiming and they're just like blown away. They're like, what just happened? That is crazy. And um, and then I use that as a teaching point. I'm like, okay, well, now enter in that range. Now f- adjust your wind speed to match the, now measure your miss, right, from your from your center to the target to where it landed, how many mils was that? Now that'll give you a rough idea of what's going on with the wind speed. And they would come up with like, you know, sometimes 25, 27, 28 miles an hour where they're tracking wind at the at their position at maybe 12 to 15, something to that effect. And you would just say, okay, well, where is, let's analyze this. Let's talk about this. Where's that wind at? Why, you know, where along the flight path of the bullet is it living that it's experiencing that wind? And it's and it's it's wind that you can't see, right? Well, again, it's the bias that we talked about, right? Until you, you can measure all you want with your kestrel at your at your rifle, until you've put a flag eleven hundred yards downrange and it's going one hundred and eighty degrees from what your meter says. Mm-hmm. Sure. You can't convince someone that that wind can change that much. Yeah, it's hard over to, over that space. It's all experience and, and, based, and, and then people people's minds open up. Mm-hmm. I think. And the question is. Always at the end of that, you know, particular little scenario would be like, well, how do I prevent that? How do I prevent that from happening? And, you know, how do I get good at that? And it's like, well, there's a couple of things that you can do to get good at looking at where the wind is. Because you want to look for where the bullet's going to live the majority of the time. And that's the wind that you want to look at, which in that condition was maximum ordinate. Right. 600 feet over the bottom of this canyon right so that's where the wind is going to have the most profound effect because it has the less surface friction it's at the maximum velocity and um probably change in direction or probably change in speeds really really quickly too that'll get you big time and but the students would say well how do i beat that what's up with the like what do you do 
you have to select a cartridge with a projectile that performs at that level based upon what you intend to do with it. And that's another thing that people, you know, don't really look at, I don't think, sometimes and say, well, if this is the game that you wish to play, meaning I want to be a mountain hunter and I'm going to take these big, long, open shots, not because you can't get closer to the animal, but because the terrain might not allow you to get closer right. to the animal. Like we, you know, we hunt in the Blue Mountains and you know that, like there's spots where it's like you just can't get closer. Right. You either let it walk or you up your skill level. Well, you have to be able to select a cartridge and a bullet that will perform really well and give you the most margin for error in your wing calls. Yeah, so I think areas. it's important to back up and say um, what drives that. Like, what are the fundamentals that that that, that uh, inform that decision or that that rationale? Mm -hmm. So, as a as a combat shooter, right? If you wing a guy and to Dikidikistan or wherever, right? He's combat ineffective, and in in theory, right? You got two guys who are going to have to carry him off the battlefield at a minimum if mm -hmm. there's not one guy, right? So you wing a guy with a big bullet, and that's fine, right? We don't want to do that to animals, right? Right? That's that's not what we're after, right? So that that reels in our a distance significantly, yep. right? By a third or a half, right? Depending and, on and, your and skills, I'm spit yeah. I'm spitballing, sure, right? Sure. I'm spitballing here. Um, it's significant. Like I, I don't want to wound an elk or an outad or anything for that matter, right? Um, and so there's there's uh, there's there's a fundamental difference in if we're trying to mitigate combat effectiveness on a man-sized target, right, at a thousand yards versus an animal, right? Mm -hmm. I don't want to shoot an animal and wound it and then have to track it and get to it and all of that, right? I want to put an ethical shot on and make sure that there's adequate energy to um, to impact that animal and and create organ damage enough to to, mm -hmm. to give it a to give it an ethical death right because you know we're not we're not just out here killing stuff for yeah for sport right we're taking it home and we're eating it even if it's out at mm -hmm. or at least parts of or at least it, trying right? to <laughs> try it as best we can as much yeah. as our teeth will allow right <laughs> So I think that's one big distinction, right? We need to we need to sort of fold the paper once mm -hmm. on this and say, look, um, we're we're looking at two different things. If I got a bad guy that's um, that that's a confirmed lethal threat, and I can put a, I, I think I can wing the guy. Great, shoot at him, right? You know, or shoot a couple rounds and 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 bracket it in. Mm -hmm. Whereas an animal's gonna run away. Mm -hmm. uh, or maybe maybe a guy would, maybe wouldn't. Um, but if I hit him, then then I'm I'm am scoring you know points for lack yep. of a better term, right? With an animal, it's minus if you if you wound them, right? Yeah. You need to kill them, put them down. And there's nothing to me more sickening than uh, and I've done it, right? To put a put a think you got a good shot on an animal and then and then realize. And it was a little further. It was a little beyond your skills. Mm -hmm. And to think confidently or have you know. God knows there was a there was a stick you didn't see or a wind gust you didn't see and you and, and that bullet landed too far back and yeah, you don't want that to peaks. happen and yeah it, it's a real thing mm -hmm. so I think that's the first fundamental question you have to ask is if your intent is to put meat in the freezer right and not waste animals then then what's your what is that range what is it for you exactly right right we, um, and we that changes that with changes with conditions it changes with the animal it changes mm -hmm. with like it's a whole lot easier to kill a whitetail 
than it is, you know, an, an, an outage sheep mm-hmm. or a water buck or a kudu or a Cape buffalo, for God's sake, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, 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 they're all different, right? Yeah. And so you need to be, you know, tuned in enough to know that there's a big difference there. So the the Audad, um, when we went to Texas, you and that's a great example. Yeah. That so so you know so talk about that course, but but that's a shot I couldn't have made or wouldn't have taken had I not tuned up in the days prior. Sure. So, you know, set that up because that's a great example. Well, we we designed that package to be able to say, all right, guys, so we're gonna do we're gonna spend two days on the rifle range, uh, learning some. Now, I don't call it the Precision Hunter Package anymore. I call it the Technical Rifle Hunter mm-hmm. because in reality, it, that's, that's pretty much what it is. Like, you're, we always want to be precise, but what's, where are we elevating that level? Well, it's the technicality of things. It's the technology. It's incorporating more advanced equipment, whether that be, uh, well, more advanced equipment or even more advanced skills um, because that is more technologically advanced right Right. so we're calling this the technical hunter because a lot of these shots that we're starting to see are more technical in nature um you have to take more things into consideration time and opportunity become um assets right not not a liability um they're not holding you back a lot of times you know in big mountain open country uh, you might more often than not you're going to have some time to figure out okay well where am i going to shoot from how am i going to get this done Whereas in closer range proximity uh, situations, it's more snap shooting. It's Interestingly more... enough, it was the opposite for me. Where at? You know, in Texas. Yeah. On okay. that hunt, right? So, um, so let me describe it again because it's very sure. different for me. Um, so, if you recall, I wasn't that far off a broken leg, right? That's right. Or a broken yeah, ankle, yeah. right? Yeah. And and so my ability to sort of, you know, in in addition to other orthopedic issues bounce around the rocks to chase after this herd was pretty limited Mm -hmm. right and so i knew that if i was going to have to have any if i was going to have any success there was going to be a lot of luck involved from an opportunity standpoint not a shooting standpoint but from an opportunity standpoint and um it was going to and and in all fairness we had really nice setups right so Mm -hmm. in that case we had um we had Trigicon AccuPoint scopes. We had a Magpul, uh, the, 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 the Hunter 700. We had the um, Defiance Deviant Actions uh, and Proof Barrels, right? Pretty freaking nice setups, right? Mm-hmm. And ELDX 143 grain yep. 6.5s. So just so everyone knows, this is so what this is what we're yep. queued up against. Like, that's no uniform recommendation. You know, we're I'm mean, there writing a story, and this is... You're, uh, and that's part of part of being an outdoor rider is you're, you 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 know you fight with what you're issued with you exactly. know, you hunt with what they give you and say you need to write a story about this so mm-hmm. in this case we were really fortunate because all those components were were, were quite good um, and so I had a shot and I think it was 331 332 mm-hmm. something like that and I took an elevated shot. The animal was elevated, um, moving away, and I had about a two-second window to make a shot. And made the shot, dropped the animal. Um, wasn't as big as yours, but it was a gold medal also. Um, it's a big you know, odd on that range. To, yeah, to the extent that, you know, gold medal measurements or whatever are, are, are important to you, it, it was. It was a big one. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was the one we wanted. 
mm-hmm. the one we identified. Um, had I not had two two days of training and practice and familiarity and most importantly confidence that I know that distance, I know what this bullet's going to do, I know what this rifle's going to do, I know what this optic is going to do. He turned and bang, pressed the button and, and it was over. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, in other circumstances, I probably wouldn't have taken that shot. It would have been irresponsible to have done so. Right. right. Um, and then, you know, three months later, it probably would have been irresponsible for me to done this to have taken the same shot just because I was further away from the training. I just wasn't as sharp. Right. right? And so, the you know, a, a lot of good things happened. Right. But the but ultimately. With that set up in that situation, I knew the constraints and limitations of myself physically um, at that time, and I knew what the the caliber and the rifle and the setup and the optics were able to do, right? And I was clearly able to take what was a tricky shot and feel like, no, I'm good. I'm good on this. And I was on a boulder with a bipod with the rifle shooting upwards at probably 25 to 30 degrees up. Mm-hmm. And I had a window before he became an original line shot and, and dropped him before he got over right. Rich. Um, and the bu- and the bullet was effective, highly. You know that ELDX round buckled him. Yeah, right. Um, we had some incredible performance with that with that that bullet in Africa too. That's I would like to talk about that as well. Uh, but please continue with. Yeah. So I I think those those are the takeaways. There uh, were a couple things. One is massively challenging circumstance from a terrain standpoint, from a physical limitation standpoint, and then from a challenge to everything that you've learned and everything that you practice, whether it's off obstacles or a flat range or whatever, you're fully informed on what your weapon system can do. Mm-hmm. Um, for lack of speaking in military terms, your weapon system, right? Your gun. Yeah. we Your hunting gun. We right? just call um, it, but now it's yeah. like a precision shooting system. You know, and that's really what it is. It's, so that's the sound of our brown sugar bourbon and fresca, the scholarship winner <laughs> drink that we're drinking tonight. I don't, evidently, they make brown sugar bourbon in Washington, so we're enjoying that too. Um, but no, it was a, um, um, you know, it was a window that opened, and there were about two seconds, and, and then, you know, he went down and worked out. And uh, I think all of us killed big, big rams. Yeah, we had there. a good, we had a good trip there, and all, and the clients had a good, had good trips too. Um, the thing that the thing that is always that drove things home to me, you know, from being a also being a combat sniper, understanding the importance of being able to get in and out of a shooting position right fucking now. Great, great point. Great it's point. like when that opportunity presents itself, you have to be able to have that connection to the rifle instantly, and you have to be able to obtain right. a sight picture right. instantly. And that encompasses many, many different skills of the, the thing that I see a lot of shooters struggle with is trying to find out where the target is. And we see that at shooting matches all the time. Like a dude will, will roll up and get ready to shoot a competitive shooting stage and get super sucked into the, into the shooting prop or whatever it is, the, whatever obstacle it is that, the, that you have to shoot from. Yeah. Okay? And you're overly magnified. Right. Sure. For less an amateur mistake. Yeah, right? yeah, that's another Maybe huge mistake that people right? do. And they don't index. They don't keep their eye on where, you know, in a hunting scenario, it's really important that if you glass an animal up or when you glass an animal up to not 
just jump out of the glass and go to your rifle. Like that's a big time no-no that we see a lot of people make the mistake of doing. We do it in the in the backcountry hunter course too, where where as soon as somebody finds a target, we we've hiked steel into the mountains and you know the students we we put them into realistic hunting scenarios. Um, it's unfortunate that Luke could not be here with us tonight. That would have been super rad. We're going to do another podcast with, with Luke here. Yeah, we ought to talk about that shot too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was, that was, <laughs> that was a uh, talk com- about completely it. different environment. Completely yes. different circumstance, right? Uh, <laughs> so, you got, in so many ways. Yeah, it, it, was it was the other side of the coin. It really, was. Right, it really right. was, man. Um, that was an intense situation in and of itself. And, the, the, the thing that, that I've learned, um, especially what reinforced it, was, was going to Africa and, and being involved in so many different opportunities every day. How many years of hunting experience? Like if you compared a, a, a typical North American big game hunter, mm-hmm. right? A, you know, a guy that just, you know, he maybe he puts in for a couple of different states every year or, or at, at most he's got two tags to punch every year, right? How much experience did do you think that we gained on that cull hunt in terms of years of experience in that seven days as a hunter? It, it's hard to say because coming from, and I'm from southeast Missouri, mm-hmm. right? And so we had rolling hills. It wasn't the Iowa-looking part of Missouri. It was... It was um, uh, hardwoods, uh, walnut, oak, yep. right? And so it was thick mm-hmm. and rolling hills. And so if you had a, f- a four-point, six-point buck, that dude was getting smoked, yep. right? And I and I say that, in, although we were west of the Mississippi, that was both sides, that right? Was right in the too. west, they say three by three, right? Or grown four up, by four, or whatever. Growing up in we western New York, man, right? it was the thing, too. It was like, man. Meat in the freezer, if you could get it, you did it, yep. right? And, and most of the guys were hunting with... You know, Winchester ninety fours or Marlin lever actions, and it was a. Hell, I grew a, up doing it with a shotgun. A sh- yeah, yeah, beyond yeah, <laughs> Illinois, the state across the Mississippi only allowed shotguns, right? right. And so they were all short, close shots, right? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe different in the northern part of the state. I think that what we saw. So the longest shot that I've taken ethically and felt good about taking mm-hmm. was in Africa on a um, a, heart, a um, Hartman zebra, mm-hmm. a mountain mountain zebra. Uh, it was 498. Luke was there mm-hmm. uh, filming, and, and it was, keep in mind, the, the previous time I'd been there, I hunted seven straight days and finally killed one. Mm-hmm. Right, and we, and we, we were there a at a different of, time of the year, and we, and we were covered up. In and, and they also had some drought, and they had some that had lost conditions, and we called some mm-hmm. right when we were there. So we had a lot of shooting, a lot mm-hmm. more shooting than we normally would have had. That were, it wasn't, it wasn't sports shooting, it was mercy shooting. Right, it was, it yep. was, it was management. Shooting, well, yeah, it was right? a call for yeah, those yeah. of you guys who who don't know. This is a call. This is a call hunting trip where it's a little bit different in Africa. Uh, we're, you know, vice here in the United States where um, a lot of the, the, the ranch owners, and this is in the country of Namibia, a lot of the, the, the property owners, the landowners, are given the responsibility of managing. It's very strictly controlled. It so is. You, it, so you have X acres, Y <clears throat> amount of cover, yep. you know, Z amount of water, 
and then uh, you know Z prime amount of animals, and they're like, look, you got too many of this species or that species, and you, you make a decision, but some of these got to go. Yeah. Otherwise, the whole herd will, what they call, lose condition, right? And you'll have massive die-offs. So you can go in there and just like you would trim a herd of sheep or trim a tree, um, you know, the limbs are going to break or you can cut some of the branches off. Exactly. It's your call, right? And, and so we did some of that. Yeah, right? and so as, as a result of that, I mean, we ended up, between the three of us, we shot over. Fed a lot of people. Fed we a lot fed, of people, yeah. yeah, including ourselves, which was really good. Right. Um, but over 40 big game animals in mm-hmm. a span of seven days, and, and we killed all of those animals with the 143-grain ELD-X bullet. Right. Which, for me, was... And they weren't Huge. buyers on that. Like Robin Hurt, one of the, the probably the most prominent, most famous. Um, uh, you know, if you were at SCI, you couldn't have held but heard his name this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was the Capsic Award winner at uh, at SCI this year. Was skeptical of that round. Totally, uh, skeptical. totally skeptical. He was like, "You guys, you guys, you're are, out of your mind. You guys are not." Wor- Daniel didn't even want to let us shoot it. Yeah. He was yeah. like, "Did you bring?" Did you? I told you guys to bring thirty cal. <laughs> so, and we convinced him on the first day. We were like, "Hey, just let us show you. Like, first and foremost, we can shoot. We can put bullets where they need to go right. to get the work done that needs to get done. And we have a, a high amount of confidence in the performance of this projectile. And we were not let down at all. Yep, yep. And uh, and and once we did that, once he saw. The groups we were shooting, because they all, you know, it's it's a test, right? Mm-hmm. They knew me because I'd been there, but they they didn't uh, um, they didn't know you guys. And then they're like, "Whoa, okay, these guys are stacking rounds on the range." Maybe we, mm-hmm. Okay, we'll go to the next step. We'll let them shoot 150, 200, 300 yards longer than 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 they normally would. Right. And we're putting animals down, and and they're they're you know, but for kudu or or other dangerous sure. game for ungulates anyway. Um, I, you know, a mountain zebra is as tough as they get. Very different from the Cape zebra that's just basically striped lion food. Right. It's completely different it's species. Different species. And we ended up hunting quite a few of them, um, and, and we're very effective mm-hmm. um, in, the, in that case. The farthest right. shot that I took on a, on a mountain zebra was 540 yards. Okay, so you're further than me. So mine was 498. And I was astounded at that bullet's performance. Yeah. Astounded. I mean, I shot that thing straight through the front shoulder. Not a not a lung shot because their lungs are behind the front shoulder. Mm-hmm. Blasted right through the front shoulder, and every single one of those projectiles ended up on the off shoulder, right underneath mm-hmm. the hide. It yeah. didn't matter whether it was a red hartebeest, a gemsbuck, a zebra, and we would blew, we did blow through the springbucks because those are little tiny critters, but. I was un, I was very very uh, impressed with the fact that even with the depth and the density and the thickness of the animals that we were shooting at, obviously a zebra is a lot bigger than a gemsbuck or a hartebeest. We were still seeing the same performance of the projectile, and it was almost as if it was scaled right to the to the penetration that we were trying to achieve yeah, it was it was in many cases now just and i want to add this as a follow-up to your question what have i seen mm-hmm. in the last 20 years being an outdoor rider because yeah. you know what, what what i get to is that as we talked about earlier today on the range 
it's a champagne problem of you don't get to perfect your round and your rifle. You're constantly handed the yep. newest, greatest, fanciest stuff mm-hmm. that's out there, and and you're expected to within a few hours, with Formulate a marketing guy stand behind you and 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 sort of uh, yeah. validate whatever sort of stuff company X, Y, or Z may come up with, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, um, that bullet performed for us well, uh, for three of us over days and days and days and days, multiple animals. The next time I was in Africa, um, it performed well on a nil guy. It, it shot what might be a top 25 Mount Rebuck, um, but then I shot a water buck. Uh, that that are that are notably tough. Mm-hmm. Um, Did I say Inyala, not Nilga. Oh, Inyala. I'm sorry. Um, and shot a shot a water buck, and it was a high shoulder shot, and it shattered his shoulder. Uh, bag of marbles. Did not penetrate the cavity, mm-hmm. the the body cavity. Right. And so, um, and that's one thing we ought to get into and talk about that bear shot as well. Sure. Is that's, a, that's a big piece that people need to understand from a terminal ballistic standpoint. And so ultimately I had a situation with a three-legged animal that, they they, they, that we were, we, they go a long ways and he, and he wasn't, he wasn't terminal. He was hurt. Mm-hmm. Right. And he was wounded, but he was not dying. Right. And so, you know, we ultimately caught up to him and, 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 and thankfully, you know, ended ended the chase, but uh, it 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 doesn't always perform to from a standpoint of busting through big African, you know, dense boned game. Um, but that was one out of forty times. Yeah, that it didn't. That right? it didn't work. So uh, I would I would still choose it, but it's it's not perfect all the time. So no. um, you know, I know there's a lot of people that are like, oh, you're, this guy or that guy's on the six five bandwagon. Well, look, I've Guess what? I've buds? seen a, I've seen a lot of meat on the ground. So um, the six know, five guys, yeah. the six for all you guys out there rolling your fucking eyes right now, the six five by fifty five Swede, right? That was well, and then you know the Japanese were using the six five yeah. projectile for years before that even, and you know European hunters were shooting moose and bear. Um, all over Eastern Europe into, you know, Russia and the sub-Asian area. And it was a phenomenal projection. Yeah, full reset. So, fact, it's killed more moose than any single round in on the planet. It, it's so funny because right? nowadays we talk to people and they're just like, oh, you can't go moose hunting with anything less than 375 yeah. or something like that. It's like... Yeah. Talk, talk to a Swede. Talk to a Finn, talk to a, yeah. a Dane, right? They'll they laugh at you, right? Mm-hmm. And the reason why is because the it was the issue ammunition for their for their bullets for the uh, uh, for the Mausers that they shot the uh, the cock on close um, model ninety fours. Mm-hmm. I think. I mean, some of your if I'm wrong, some of your I'm sure some of your listeners will shred Let me, me right now. But I th- yeah, I think it's a ninety four ninety six. But I think it's a ninety four, um, and they. They were also the standard for biathlon, or the preferred round until 1976 for the Olympics. Mm. Um, and I did not know that the uh, 6.5 Caracal was what, uh, and, and not that this is a reason to do anything, but that's what Kennedy got shot with. Right? That's what that's Oswald that's allegedly, true. you know, it's very true. That's that's what he was firing, whether he hit the president or not. But that yep. that was the round, right? And so. It uh, you know it, it's a fantastically performing round unless you have to have 
just the just the, the mass, the just mass the physics, the physics of, of doing so. So, sure. um, but yeah, we ought to talk about that because if you recall, it was a it was a six five that I finished that bear with, not the original three hundred wind mag that I it's true that I shot it I with. I do remember, right? yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, it's um, you know from from the hunting perspective, you know we, we definitely just went down a, a, a pretty a pretty good path of the terminal performance. And, and that's good because coincidentally, there's been a couple of conversations that have been happening on social media that have, people have come up and said, you know, um, I find it, you know, always um, interesting, quote unquote, interesting that people poo-poo the use of the Sierra Match King on, on, on shooting animals. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, and I always say, absolutely, right? It's really, really hard to argue with 175 grains moving at 2,650 feet a second, right? It's really hard to argue with that in terms of what it's going to do to um, to uh, flesh, right? Mm-hmm. But when you start getting to the threshold of range at distance where the bullet itself is not going to perform as, it, as we would expect it to, meaning the jacket's going to strip off and we're going to have... A massive loss in velocity between the the piece of the jacket material and the remaining core of the bullet that's continuing to right. go forward. Right. We got all kinds of problems that can happen, and that will, no kidding, no kidding, guys, it will lead to a losing an animal. Like it's gonna yeah. Happen. So so two two major observations here, and you're exactly right. Right. So let's take the bear. Right. Yeah. That we did in Blue Mountains. So it was you and and me and Luke Carrick and I. Was there the first time, and and it was shooting a three hundred wind mag. It was a CZ five fifty, I think. Yep, three hundred wind mag, um, and the bullet punched through. Um, it didn't open, and it was like a sh- putting a cleaning rod through the heart. Mm-hmm. Right, so he was dead as soon as that bullet hit him. Right, yep. and we were watching it through a scope, and 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 it was bloody and nasty and whatever. Um, but keeping in mind, you've got multiple factors before that bullet actually gets to the vitals right in the case of the bear you've got hair then you've got hide and then i think we measured at least on the on the hams two inches of fat right then you've got maybe a rib if you don't get in between the ribs Mm -hmm. so you got a rib to hit or get through or shatter or cause the bullet to to spall or, or whatever or come apart and then you get to the vital organs, right? And then you've got a bear that can function under very low blood pressure longer normal. than a deer. Yeah, it's normal, right? So, so it's a um, it's a multifactorial sort of equation that is not consistent from one animal to one animal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that I think that's really important to for your listeners to understand is that they all. All of those factors matter, and the only way that you can effectively control that is short it, is shoot it closer distances, sure. right? Because you mentioned the you know the velocity impact, but there's also the energy, the foot pounds of energy, mm-hmm. right? So if you think about water being the most dense material under pressure of anything on the on on the planet, what is two inches of fat? Well, it's mostly water. Yeah. Right, so how much did that bullet? There's a reason it didn't open up for me, yeah. right? Because it went through hide and hot. It went through hair, hide, fat. May, I don't think it hit a rib, if you recall, yeah, when we when we when we yeah. removed that and looked at it. I think it got in there, but it was like a pencil hole through the heart, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and so the energy that was there to create hydrostatic shock 
it was gone. Mm-hmm. It, it punched a hole through, but it didn't create that shock wave that's going to put him down. Yep. And maybe it just was bare, so it didn't, he didn't care, right? And ultimately, we, we followed up with, um, there's, it's a long story as to why I was out of ammunition. And, <laughs> and as a former infantryman, I, I don't want to, uh, I'm not going to put on public record why, why I was out of ammo. Shit. Yeah, I won't talk shit. So I grabbed your rifle and shot him with the, the 6.5. <laughs> um, and it put the largest wound cavity I've ever seen in an animal. And yeah. it was, I think that was the Seer Game King, right? Uh, I, that was that was another Hornady bullet. An, another Hornady bullet, right. Yeah. At the size of a football. Through both lungs, and he went down, and it that was it. It was it was man. over with, and then, and then he rolled off a cliff, and we had to do the whole thing. You know, we had to descend to Hades to find the damn animal, <laughs> but and we did, and we hiked him out. But uh, um, it was an, it was an interesting comparison from a terminal ballistic standpoint, in that yeah. there is no uh, because of angle, because of season, because of animal, because of. Uh, gender of the animal because of the position of the animal um there's so many variables that you know there's some things you can bias your choices towards mm-hmm. to have a greater degree of success but you don't ever really know yeah right and the only thing that can help that is being closer well the other and shot placement of course right? with that whole scenario though like we um we were at, we were at a we went to a high point to try to locate an right. animal Right, so while we were there, we located... Like everyone else here here doesn't have any no, idea what we're talking about. Idea. So yeah, you, just some background. So, well, the, part of this too is like from a shooting perspective, guys, like everything that we everything that we do on the podcast, we try to bring back to a shooting perspective. Um, and, you know, we're talking about hunting and it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a part of our life. It's part of what we do. Even though we see people, I mean, honestly, Len, I've seen people show up to rifle matches that are literally just there as shooting enthusiasts. They're not there because they're hunters. I, I actually listened to a conversation of a guy like borderline criticizing somebody else because they were talking about killing an antelope. And I, I was, it was so bizarre. I was, I had to like stop no, well, like, you know, I'm okay with that. But, what is you know, it, as, as long as you're was, not going to the grocery store no, no. and buying, uh, you know, something in a in a it, it in wasn't a, in a styrofoam package. It, sure, no, no, no. it was it was it was more along the lines that it reinforced to me that not every shooter out there is a hunter, right? Not every shooter out there that we encounter on the rifle range is somebody from the military, right? right. Not every shooter out there is is uh, had the same upbringing, so to speak, you know. So that brings that brings a lot of perspective into the into the mix for me because I'm in the business of teaching people, and so I have to be really um, uh, familiar with everybody you know everybody's background and things. And so, but there's people that just that don't understand. They they, they listen to the internet, right? There's there's mm-hmm. stuff on Facebook forums everywhere, and you know it's. Not all that information is true and accurate, and and more often than not, it's it's anecdotal at best. And uh, having the having experience, it's one thing to be like a hunter in Missouri or um, in Iowa or something to that effect, and and see the same thing over and over and over again when it comes to the engagements on an animal. Whereas like in the Blue Mountains, here out west, dude, you could have a twenty yard engagement. And then 10 steps later, you could have a 600-yard engagement. It just totally depends on the situation. Yep. Yep. And 
those those conditions there are uh, you're shooting across big giant. The blues is very steep. It's very rugged. There's it's base. It's canyon country. Um, it, it's akin to I guess you'd say timbered badlands. Right. Uh, it's not for the faint of heart, man. But from where you were at, where we saw that animal, you also had to haul ass for a good mile and a half. Right. Right. We saw the animal. We said, oh, shit, we have to get there. Grab everything. Grab what you need right now. And we need to go here to get a shot on it. And Luke already had it figured out. I mean, Luke's a tremendous guy. He's fantastic. Um, Which is part of the thin excuse for why I showed up with three rounds of ammunition to shoot that bear. <laughs> but, well, that was literally... That was, it, it's thin. It's he, bad. I, I remember. I, I can't ever... You know, I'll own the mistake, but I won't, you know... It, I, it is yeah, what it is. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was one of those situations. It was a real-life situation. But, it's right. all, but all this stuff, too, is training stuff. It's just stuff to talk about with training. It's like, okay, so I'm huge on... When I go, when I go hunting, I'm huge on making sure that my gear and this is from the military part of me right when you're in a when you're in an ffp final firing position everything is everything needs to be there in the event that you do need to get up and move within that you know half yes. a second notice yeah so let me back up and describe it in my words sure yeah. uh on on what happened so we were we spent two days in the suck in all fairness right in the blues and this is in the Southeast corner of Washington. Mm -hmm. uh, for those that don't know where it is, the northeast corner of the Blues cover uh, Washington, Oregon, and Idaho. I think largely Washington, right? Extraordinarily steep, um, extraordinarily uh, uh, rugged, um, and then there is a um, um, there is a. Um, um, you know, you're you're out there, or you're on your own, right? There's no guide that's been there to say, "I've got game cameras set up, and I'm going to put you on a, um, I'm going to put you on an animal that I'm aware of." Right? It's it's spot and stalk for bear, which is freaking hard, right? Ninety nine percent of other bear hunts I've been on is like, "Well, here's our bait pile." Right, and if he shows up, shoot him. Right, and it may be a tough shot, and that's, it's a bear, so it's always going to be tough. And but, that's even bizarre to me. <laughs> right, and so it's it's still tough, right? And so you're you're dealing with, um, you know, imagine, you know, imagine a a misery sheep hunt or misery elk hunt that's, but you're hunting bear, mm -hmm. right, in that situation. And so it's usually cross canyon shot. There's oh, no, there's, so I mean, steep. I mean, unless, unless you like bump into one, you're not going to, it's either, as you say, it's going to be 200 yards or in excess of three. Mm -hmm. And I recall that when we, um, we were, we had been glassing in one location where, you know, we thought some of these bears were going to be, or at least where we could get a shot mm -hmm. if they were there. Right. And we had moved to another location and the sun had come out and we'd gotten a little complacent and we had, uh, it was still cold as shit, but the sun, the you know, the sun was out, right? And and we could at least dry our clothing off. So we'd been sort of uh, mother hinting our clothes and drying it out. And it was close towards the end of the day. And uh, and Luke said, bear. We got a bear, but it's back at the other place, right? And uh, so we grab our stuff and smoke it over as, at least as fast as we could to get over there leaving most of our things at the previous location, which was... Mile and a half away. Mile and a half away. Long way away, right? Yep. So I grabbed what I had and just 
tried to move his lighting as fast as possible. And so it was a, I think the first location, I can't remember the distance. It was uh, 550. 550. Was like 550. I was thinking 575. Yeah, yeah it was like there. that. And, and the, you guys looked at me and said, can you make this shot? And I said, no, can't do it. I remember. That. I don't, I don't feel like, confident. Like, like, no, we, we, let's, let's try and get closer. And it, like, it, it was like, no big deal. Let's go right, let's go down there. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, you're, 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 you're whip for doing it, right? Yeah, yeah, it's no, like, it like serious. Go, no go. Make the decision. Make well, the call. Well, the bear had no yep. idea you were there. They had no, the bear had no idea we were there. Yeah, just, he's flipping rocks over yeah. doing his thing, right? So it wasn't, we weren't scaring him off, but the question was, are you confident enough to make the shot, right? And I'm like, eh. Can we I, get closer? I'm around 50%. Like, what can we do? Well, we can go down there. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's go down there. Yeah. Right. Let's make that shot. And so the shot was, I think, three thirty-one, three seventy-one, something. Like something yeah. It was, it was right in there. Three seventy. Three seventy in that range. And uh, you know, the first shot was a dart through the heart. Yep. First shot. It was on, man. And we, you know, we hammered him. And uh, second shot was, uh, you know, was through the jaw. Third shot was a miss. I was out of ammo. And then I grabbed your rifle and did the the, the double lung, and and then he rolled off the cliff and. Mm-hmm. The and rest of the adventure began. <laughs> into the Dagobah system he went. Yeah, and we got him. Uh, we, we got the meat out. We ate the whole, we cured the whole animal, brought the hide out. It was, you know, one of the more prouder hunts I've ever been on. But from a ballistic standpoint, that bear um, took more punishment than, than, than maybe than any animal <laughs> I've ever sure seen. Did, like legit punishment. Yeah, like, he not, didn't give a shit. Not either. like, oh, I shot him in the foot, and that probably really hurt. Like mm-hmm. lethal shots mm-hmm. and kept moving. Yeah. Right? Um, and so we're, we're talking about legitimate setups, legitimate optics, legitimate ballistics, putting shots on targets and still having challenges, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that's what I think. Uh, I think that's the takeaway is is maybe be more conservative. And I know there's guys on TV well, that are making, you know, these ridiculously long shots. And, and I would ask you to, you readers to um, get a little more experience before you, you do something like that, mm-hmm. right? I, I can't tell anybody how to act or how to sure. feel or, or what their value system needs to be. But I would say that um, the guys that are making those kind of shots, if they're in fact correct, mm-hmm. right? Who knows on TV? Um, that's really right on the ragged edge of yeah of, 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 of ethically, um, you know, what are you trying to accomplish, it, right? It totally, yeah. It's one of those things where, where people... Um, I've, I've kind of thought about this quite a bit, right? Because I am in the business of teaching people how to shoot. And I'm, I'm also not one to um, tell anybody what they should or shouldn't do, right? That's not my place. That's not, where, that's not why I'm here. I'm here to just communicate information to you. You do with it what you please. Well, here's the thing, Kaylon. I think you, you know, I've been a student in a couple of your courses, you know, whether I'm writing a story about a rifle or talking about the, the course and writing about the course in particular. And so I get to hear things you don't, right? Mm-hmm. And, sure, sure, and, sure. And, and so what I think that most of the, you know, and, and let's face it, there's guys up that haven't turned the turrets. Oh, man, yeah. In 20 years. Yep. They're, they're, bringing, they're bringing grandpa's 300 Win Mag or 270 or whatever, and they haven't. Getting scoped <laughs> Not you. I remember it. I, it wasn't me, you know but I remember it. I remember about, it. Yeah. 
right? And, yep. and we're like having to, you know, shoot shoot uh, uh, penetrant on the cap screws to, to, to get to the adjustments to get <laughs> right. these guys to adjust their optics, right? And uh, at the end of the day, um, it's it's guys who say, and I think this is, you know, this is a little bit funny, but it's not. It's guys that are saying, um, I was comfortable out to 220 or 250, right. and now I'm comfortable to two, to 400. Yeah, that's a huge jump. It's a huge jump. But that's a viable ethical yeah. difference to say, I'm comfortable taking an animal to 400 yards with a 300 Win Mag or 7-millimeter mm-hmm. song or yep. whatever the hell they're, they're, they're shooting with, whatever mm-hmm. it is. And that's the important part. It's whatever you like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As, as long as it has the it has the ballistics and the energy to get there, well, who, I don't give a damn. Well, I'm not an yeah. advocate of anything, right? In in particular, but that's what I'm hearing amongst the students. They're like, I would have never taken a shot beyond 300, and now I'd take one out to four in a heartbeat. Yeah, because I'm confident in my weapon system. Yeah, and your skills. E- yeah, even with their shit optics that are from. 1968 sure. or whatever, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so what about the physical aspect of that? I asked that because a lot of people um, have this kind of romanticized view of being a mountain hunter and mm-hmm. um, having everything super perfect, right? Prone shot. Spot the critter, he's he's bedded down, the quintessential mountain hunting scenario, right? right? Um, not running a mile and a half, slash running, slash fast hiking, slash climbing. Right. All the while, you know, the emotional aspect of hunting, because hunting is emotional, right? It's mm-hmm. very emotional sure. because Absolutely. it's very up and Without down. Right. And so it's a visceral human experience that, that comes from is, the amygdala of our brain without is a doubt. A fantastic right. way of describing that. It's it's that is beautiful actually because that's truly what it is. Um, you have all of these emotions going on, and then you have your physical body that's getting worked. You have your emotional brain that's and your emotional body that's getting you know worked over. And then you also have the the alpha ego part of your brain sure. that says, yeah. I have to perform. Plus your friends are watching. I mean, that's exactly. part of the alpha ego part. Yep. You don't want to d- disappoint the hunter or disappoint the, the guide mm-hmm. that you're with or whatever. So, so, yeah. So let me answer that question in a couple ways. Sure. One is um, part of the champagne problem uh, that I mentioned as a, as a hunting writer or an outdoor writer in addition to always shooting with the newest bullets and the newest guns and the newest optics whether or not they're worth a shit or not is that's what you get to hunt with you're also typically paired with the best guides right and you're typically put on the best animals right and it's cool right mm-hmm. i'm not gonna lie right it's it's it's, it's awesome mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. who wouldn't want that um on the other hand um you have to make decisions as to you're you're still a hunter, right? You're you're not a celebrity. Some might think that they are, but they're not, right? Mm-hmm. So um, from a physical standpoint, I'm not the same um, at today at 47 that I was as a 20 year old pair trooper, sure. right? Right, completely different deal, mm-hmm. right? And there are shots I'm not going to take. There are things that I'm most things I'm willing to do, some things I'm just not. You know, I've had some injuries, I've had multiple surgeries. Like, I'm not going to 
this story isn't worth me being broken uh, for yeah, life. Right, broken in, <laughs> for life or six or eight months. Over and some right, stupid bear. Right, right yeah, yeah. And, and I, look, I can ultimately go to the grocery store and eat some, you know, right. GMO beef and I'll be okay uh, rather than being on crutches, right? So um, I, that there's a luxury in being able to do that, right? It's and, and it's just and it's fair, right? Mm-hmm. So from a physical standpoint, I think that... Um, if I understand what you're asking correctly, is I would, I would answer in a couple ways. One is um, presuming that you understand you, the limitations of your your, your uh, as as we learned as, and, and just to be just to be clear, I was an infantry officer in the mid '90s, pre 9/11. Um, you know, no combat, same training, right, or similar, right. Mm-hmm. And and one of the same ten- tenets that we were taught was know yourself and your and your and your limitations. Mm-hmm. Right, so know what you can do, know what you can't do. Know when you need to delegate something. Know when you're about to to reach the limit of what you're able to do, and everybody's different, mm-hmm. right? And only you know the answer. Hunting's the same way, right? Yeah, you want to run this ridge for five straight days? That ain't me, right? Or it may have been me, but it's not anymore, mm-hmm. right? And so I think that's a big part of it. Uh, I think that the ability to get in a position to make an ethical shot is something that is a is a is a judgment call that you have to make and you have to be confident enough to say this is not for me mm-hmm. totally right? and it's okay it's okay right because what's the downside some guide who's seen 200 hunters and the people that those hunters remember negatively are the guys who were jackasses That's true. that took bad shots that put them in bad positions or decided to shoot before they were told to shoot they're going to respect someone who's like, look, I can't, I can't get down there. Mm-hmm. I can't get across that ridge. I yeah. can't make that shot. Let's let them walk. Yeah. You know, you're going to have to work tomorrow. You, you can't go home and drink tomorrow. Right. Right. You know, um, and we know those guys and they're awesome and we love them, but that's the truth. And they're okay with it. Totally. They're and you're paying, either, you're paying either way, they, <laughs> right, I'll, at man, the end of the day. You know, it's, it's funny. You, you find, find me a hunting guide that truly doesn't love what they do. Right. I mean, I think I've talked to a lot of hunting guides that that have gotten out of it Mm -hmm. simply because they got to that point where it was just like, this is not for me anymore. Mm -hmm. I can't give it the same thing that I used to give it in the past. And so therefore, um, you know, it's almost like I owe it to I owe it to the animals Mm -hmm. to step away and just say I'm, 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 I'm over it. Well, the single best hunt. And this had a bit to do with the the rifle I was carrying, which was a it was a three seventy five Turnbull. So it was a lever action vintage rifle with a big bullet mm-hmm. that moved really slow. Right, I was hunting with a guy named in Gunnison, Colorado, named Rick Sandoval, good friend of mine. Right, and for five or six straight days we humped it. A couple of days we rode horses to get close, and the rest of the time he was like, "We're walking." And we were as close as you could be, and it was another hunter that blew us, or a storm came in, or some Something. random thing happened. So the, probably the best hunt of my life outside of Africa was a five-day backcountry horseback elk hunt where I never fired a shot, <laughs> right? Aren't and, those the best? Yeah, and it was fantastic. And, you know, not everybody feels that way. I get that. Right? And I've had a lot of opportunities to be on a lot of hunts that other people haven't. So I, you know, maybe my perspective is, is biased because mm-hmm. of that. Um, but you need to know yourself and your limitations and know that it's, that it's the experience 
that's out there. Having said that, we're talking about ballistics and guns, right? Um, so I think that um, one thing that I've learned is, particularly when you and I went to Africa, mm-hmm. they're very biased to shoot bigger bullets. Yeah, very much so. Shoot bigger bullets. Daniel right? was walking around with a three thirty eight Win Mac. Right. Who who was who was Daniel is our was our PH in Africa. Yeah. Right. Robin Hurt's uh, stepson and was with us most of the time. I mean, they're 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 shooting cannons at these animals that are that are the size of mule deer, and they're like, yeah, that's what it takes to knock these guys down. Yeah. And there's look, there's there's an endless and inconclusive argument about whether totally, African man. game are, are tougher or yeah. not. I've I've shot them both. I don't know that there's much tougher than a North American bear. I've not shot a Cape buffalo. Right. I've shot water buffalo, and, and I spined it, and it went down like a like a puppet with cut strings, right? right? So it's hard to say, but it's all about, you know, in, in many cases about shot placement. But um, I think they are tougher. I think they've been killed. They've been predated by many things for longer mm-hmm. than the North American game. But that's just... I'm not a biologist, right. so that's just sort of my anecdotal experience. Having said that, I think those guys are used to a lot of guys that can't shoot, and they're like, well, shit, if their bullet's bigger, then the chances right. of We're them just... screwing this up are less. Which is so so wrong. It is so opposite. <laughs> but it, that's what they, uh, that's the way they see it, right? It's and, so and, bad. And, 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 you know. It's like, it's so bad. And here's why, here's why I think it's so bad. <laughs> because you got a guy that says, all right, well, I need this 300 rum to shoot this elk at 300 yards. And I'm like, dude, you can't even shoot that gun because you're fucking afraid of it. Yeah. It's literally beating you to death and you can't shoot it. I can't tell you how many times we would give um, we I would just let the students they'd show up with like a seven pound 300 wind mag. no muzzle brake, old school straight up like rifle from the mid 90s. And these guys are getting the piss beat up. It's buckling them. Oh, it's just buckling. crushing them. Yeah, yeah. they can't. You're, they're, we're putting them in the prone position for you know a day and a half, and they're getting the shit knocked out of them. And at the at the beginning of the second day, I always will give them. I have a couple of Creedmoors in the truck, and the Creedmoors are set up to hunt, and I give them Creedmoor, and I'm like, here, just shoot this. They're missing shots. I can tell. I can tell by looking through a spotting scope. I don't even have to watch you shoot. I can tell when you're yanking shots. Like I can tell when they're going left, right, mm-hmm. eleven o'clock, seven o'clock. It's an induced flinch. Yeah, from, it's, from, you're, yeah. you're fucking scared. Your you brain, can't blame them because your brain hurts. Your right? brain right. is saying this sucks. Stop doing this to me, and I'm going to do everything I can to yeah. prevent this shit from happening. And then you give them that six five Creedmoor, and they're just crushing shit, and they're just crushing steel, and they look up at you and they go, "What is this thing all about?" And I'm like. Man, this is this is the wave of the future, right? You, it's not even the wave of the future. Hey, this shit was from the hey, 50s. Hey, as you said earlier, it's just yeah. smart. It's, it's just being smart. About exactly. It. You guys, you guys need to shoot rifles that you can shoot without getting the piss beat out of you. And this is where my big bone comes in with the whole the current practical rifle competitions, where it's like, well, we're gonna go, we're gonna shoot these twenty pound rifles. Perfect case in point. Um, 
we were at the uh, we set up a stage at uh, Gunworks held a National Rifle League mm-hmm. match at their facility in Cody. One of the stages was five targets anywhere. I think they were between like 580 and 650. Five five targets that mm-hmm. were I think like two minutes of angle, and uh, you had to shoot a Gunworks. Verdict rifle uh, chambered in 30 nozzler mm-hmm. with a Revic scope, which means you got a da- you got a card that said, "All right, so target one is this, and target two is this." Blah blah blah. All you got to do is dial the turret, make a wind call, and shoot. Move to the next target, dial the turret, make a wind call, shoot. And uh, a lot of these, a lot of those competitors would would come off the line after shooting that 30 nozzler and just say, "Ah, the dopes the dopes jacked up on that rifle. The dopes wrong." And I would come over and I would say, no less than a half a dozen times I went to that stage and, and the ROs were like, hey, uh, can you shoot this gun? Make sure that it's good. Five for five. One, two, three, four, right, five. Right, right, right. You can't shoot a heavy recoiling, heavy bullet sling and rifle the same way you shoot a 20-pound 6-millimeter Creedmoor or a 6-millimeter BRA. It doesn't work that way. That's not how physics works. And that's the thing where, you know, where a lot of you guys are like, oh, well, you're you're kind of bashing or harping on the PRS. And it's just like, well, you have a very skewed view. If this is where you have been brought up in shooting, and this is your only exposure to what, what shooting a precision rifle is, is getting on the internet and saying, oh, well, this is what the pros use. This, 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 and this. All right, cool, I'm gonna buy that. And then you start shooting and and you develop this false sense of security mm-hmm. as to what your skills are and what your capabilities and what your limitations are. And then you go to shoot a rifle that actually requires you to drive it. It actually requires mm-hmm. you to address it appropriately from a solid fundamental base. And people would swear up and down. They're like, that gun's, the gun, the dope's are screwed up on that gun. And then I would shoot the same thing, five for five. All right. Well, I, th- I think one on the on the the, the other end of the spectrum that, that reinforces this position is you, you think of a Caramojo Bell, right? Famous elephant hunter who used what was the equivalent, I think, of a and and I'm, I'm sure your your writers will somebody will Google it. And, uh, but it's basically like a 264. Hey, we need a, we need a Jamie here. We need a Jamie. Yeah. Jamie, go yeah. Google that shit. Yeah, Google that shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Um, but it was a it was a something south of a 30 caliber, right? right. And he, but he Relatively knew, small. He knew the terminal ballistics on exactly where to shoot an elephant to drop it, right? right. And many, and many, many times. And that's what he did, right? Um, and so he knew where to hit it. So it was a precision question not a how does it fly right it wasn't really even a terminal ballistic standpoint because if you knew if you hit it it was going to kill it Mm -hmm. in that in that space and so i think uh with um to you know to your point and we you know we're talking about six five bandwagon pieces Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and in in the one one situation that i had where um it didn't kill the animal right it's it's a double lung shot round Right. If, if you got an animal that's so dense that you're not going to break the shoulder and go you through. You have to extangulate it. Hey, if I had a 330 wind mag, maybe it would have gotten through. Mm-hmm. I don't think a 300 wind mag wouldn't have been moving any faster. Right? Um, and I can't, I, obviously verbally, it's hard to describe what it felt like and what it looked like 
the damage that that bullet did, but it didn't, you know, we, we, we autopsied it and it was its vital organs weren't hurt. You know, I got up to it and shot it in the neck. Right, so I think understanding the terminal ballistics piece as well as the as the um, as the ballistics of of it flying through the air is really really important. I would agree. Right, right, one hundred percent is is super important. So and and that's always a trade off, and it's 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 a game of averages for terminal ballistics. Right, how's it how is it going to perform in an animal if you're a hunter? Mm-hmm. Right, because you never know. You never know if it's Man. if it's uh, you never know if that animal has rolled in the mud, and there's a cake of mud that that bullet hits yeah, before you, just, you know you, you don't know. So you have to play a law of averages, and you have to say, look, on average, if I shoot an elk at this range, I'm, I'm going to put it down and I, and I place a shot here, mm-hmm. right? If I'm shooting a an ungulate that's not a water buck or an inyala, meaning it's an impala or a deer or a mule deer or whatever, mm-hmm. that bullet's going all the way through. Like we're picking it out of the hide on the other side, 100% mm-hmm. of the time. But some of these other tougher animals, a nil guy, something like that, you know, probably might not. Their bones are dense enough and thick enough. Yeah. But I would argue that that knowledge is the key. The shot placement is the key. Like if, the, for for example, if I had uh, on that in that waterbuck situation, the one time a six five failed me. If I had aimed, and it wasn't even a hard shot. If I had said, my view was I was in a, in a situation where I said, and I I wouldn't say I got cocky, but I had a I did I had plenty of time to aim at it, mm-hmm. and I said I'm gonna put it. I just want to put it down where it is. Like I'm gonna kill it and put it down so we don't have to track it. It's gonna be it's gonna be an ethical shot, it's gonna be a clean shot. And we're not having to track it over Hills Half Acre amongst across right. Africa on a hot day. Yeah. Right? And it ended up being a freaking melee to get this and it was a hell of a hunt, but um, had I had to do it again, I would have double lunged it and it would have gone another fifty yards and that would have yeah. been it, been yeah. over with. So knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. Know your constraints. Know your limitations. Know where you can put that bullet. Know where your rifle can put the bullet. And know what the bullet's going to do when it gets there. And even then, you're guessing. Yes. Right? Very true. Right? And, and the guesswork, the, the gap on the guesswork broadens the further out you get. Yeah. Right? And, that, and that's really what it boils down to. And that's part of the knowledge of the training that you provide. Right, and ultimately the client, your student has to decide. Okay, if I can put a bullet within a, you know, the hands width on an elk at 500 yards, there's still some things that can happen that won't put that elk down. Very that true. You man. can't control yep. that are going to be different than that elk at 300 yards mm-hmm. or 200 yards or 150 or whatever. Right? It's it's just it's because of the manipulating your margin of error. Right. Yeah. Right. It, the range becomes your margin of error, and if that's one thing, that yeah, you guys exactly can, right, exactly right. Yeah. If it's one thing that you that you guys that are listening can gather from this, I mean, this is this is a, a, a very kind of free flow conversation on on our experiences as hunters, and um, you know, we've had a lot of technical conversations. We try to balance our we try to balance modern day sniper podcast with technical conversations on things like wind or external ballistics or fundamentals of marksmanship. Um, mechanics, body mm-hmm. mechanics with the rifle, 
Um, and then some more philosophical conversations on uh, mindset, ego, mentality, um, the learning process, things like that. And I think that this is a really good blend of those of those two um, thought processes or uh, right brain, left brain mm-hmm. type situations. And we get a lot. It's just we get a lot of questions about this stuff. What's this? What's the best bullet? What's you know how far this and how far that, or what's the minimum this and and there's so many different trains of thought out there about this stuff, and and um, you know, gosh, man, the 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 internet is just this big giant um, black hole of information, and here we are, further putting information out. Well, the look, I mean, let's neck this down a little bit. Right? Sure. I mean, both of us have killed dozens of animals. Um, you know, we've been to Africa multiple times. We're not the most experienced people out there, but we're certainly not beginners. The least experienced. Certainly right. not beginners, right? Um, either in North America, South America, Europe, or Africa. Like, between the two of us, we've been... Animals are um, animals. On, you know, animals and, and you know, even people, right? Um, so, we, we've seen a lot. We have, we have the scientific evidence, which is important, and we have the anecdotal evidence, which is oftentimes equally or more important. Exactly. So you have to ask yourself, um, but here's what here's what the, the ballistic calculator says. That bullet will, will hit this animal at this distance with this amount of foot-pounds of energy. And so, oh, well, it ought to kill him. Well, does it deflect off a rib? Does it spall? Mm-hmm. Does it come apart? Does it stay in the same piece? Mm-hmm. And, and, and again, you can you can debate it debate it infinitely and inconclusively, and it ultimately is is a decision that each hunter much must make ethically. Mm-hmm. And I emphasize ethically to say I'm making the best and most consistent decisions that I can make. And if you have to change based upon losing animals or whatever, hopefully that isn't the case. Or if you have to let it walk. Damn right. Yeah. Let it walk. Yep. Let it walk. You know, unless your family's starving. Right. Which is this probably is not the case. Game. Right. You know, um, I, I prefer to eat elk, particularly during this COVID stuff. And I put it, I put an elk in I put an elk in the freezer and, and I've eaten more elk in the last three months than 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 over a twelve month period any time in my life, right? Sure. So I'm glad to have had elk and, and mule deer in the freezer and some pheasants and, and whatever. And so I've never been more thankful for my hunting lifestyle and my hunting skills than, than recently. Um, having said that, separate and apart from a pandemic, um, <laughs> you know, it's okay. You know, in general, you can you can go without, right? You can letting an elk walk. And, and, and look, I've been there. Look, I, I, can, I can think of one situation, particularly in... Um, uh, particularly in Africa where I let one go or, or I took a shot and I should have let it go. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. You know, um, that happens, man. That just happens. It's one of those things. It's one of those things that just as, as we are, as we're hunters, you know, you're going to come up with, you're going to come up against these scenarios. You're going to come up against these, these do I, if then this, that. Right. Or if then this, that, or what happens when this happens. And, and these are all things that come with experience. And, um, you know, we have both been very blessed with opportunities to gather a tremendous amount of experience as hunters in a short amount of time being in a place like Africa. 
or even in a place like Hawaii with uh, with access yeah. deer. Oh yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, that's another place that you know if you guys are looking to get real um, legit hunting experience, uh, go to Hawaii. Go on a couple of access deer hunts because there is a plethora of animals available, and the stocks are difficult. They're challenging. And that's another thing in Africa is like, you know, okay, well, we're, we're going to go try to kill this. Uh, we're going to go try to kill this, this giant red heart beast. But before we get to the red heart beast, we have to get through 60 spring bucks. We have to get through a herd of, <laughs> right, you know, right. gems buck over here. We can't spook. And oh, by the way, there's a troop of baboons over here on a, on a, you know, on a big copy that we can't disturb. It becomes very complex and, you know, in this little kind of nucleus of, of events and you've, you get a lot of experience. Which is fantastic. Like it is. Right. It's, yeah. it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get to be able to bring that back and go, all right, well, I can apply an animal's an animal is an animal. And as long as you understand their, their, their unique intricacies um, of what, you know, their, uh, their caginess is from, from critter to critter based upon the time of year. Obviously we all know that rutting bucks are stupid as hell and they make big mistakes. Mm -hmm. And that's generally why they get killed during the rut. Um, but you can just take all that experience and apply it to, to your next. Yeah. And I think it boils down to this, like, you know, you and I have been to all over the U S we've been to Africa together. We've been to, you know, bears and, and deer and, 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 and Africa and, and, uh, multiple species in Africa. It's know yourself and your limitations mm -hmm. from a shooting standpoint and know the species you're going after. And how do you right? do that? You got to train, guys. You got to get out there and train. You got to get out there and shoot and you have to put yourself in those different scenarios and situations, which is why we hype on competition big time. And it's not because we want to say you need to go out and be the best shooter. No, you're going to these competitions or you should be going to these competitions to experience um a, a different environment. Okay, so different atmospheric conditions, different uh, environmental conditions. And then B, you're solving somebody else's problems, right? Because you, just doing it on your own, you're not going to solve. Like, you're going to run out of problems to solve. Yeah, and you're only going to be better. And I've only shot a few competitions, right? Um, but at the end of the day, between competitions and, and military training in general, and hunting is... Let, let somebody scramble the variables mm -hmm. for you and, right. and you sort the problem and you solve it because that's that's really what you're going to see in the field mm -hmm. right and and there and that's where the benefit is i mean if you're if you're in it for um gilded plastic trophies then hey good on you i don't have anything against it but um it's really just an exercise yep right? exactly well, man, we've we've had a really cool conversation here on hunting, um, and I want to kind of wrap this up by talking about uh, another one of your projects that we that we didn't get to in the beginning of the podcast. And you know, first and foremost, like what what is what is this project that you've been working on? And, and I mean, I remember listening to you go through mm -hmm. the whole process, and I learned a lot from listening to you go through the process of product development and. And you know, I could I could kind of relate to some of the some of the, the the roadblocks or the hurdles that came along the way working at Magpul and understanding the whole process of that stuff. So, what is this thing that you got going on, Len? Yeah. So uh, the product is called EDC CLP, and it's um, what we refer to as the modern firearm lubricant, right? Um, and and basically, it it started on a poncho at Fort Benning, 
right? Uh, as, as a as a you know twenty something infantryman, and we're sitting there, either in the field or or you know ready to be checked out uh, to leave after being in the field for days or weeks at a time, and ultimately we are. Um, uh, you know, the, the military standard, right or wrong, is to continue to scrape parts until the carbon is removed, mm-hmm. um, uh, regardless of whether it changes the geometry of the parts, right, <laughs> right. Um, and their relation to one another, <laughs> to get it all off of there to before you can hand it in to oh. some, some jackass... God bless him, NCO, who's Our like... rifle's he, supposed he, to be silver, Len. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, so so my thought was there's got to be some degree of chemistry. If, like, if we can put a man on the moon, surely we can keep, um, keep this sort of contamination off the parts, right? And so what I did is thought about it um, at length, right, uh, and had plenty of time to do so, which was... And, and the in the fundamental decision was this: is that the the the, the CLP that we were interested that we were issued on active duty still issued to this day is to uh, to prevent rust primarily first and foremost, right? And that's written for spec, and they dip twelve by twelve squares of of steel and iron into a salt bath, and they count the number of rust spots that after a certain amount of time, appear on that, right? Mm-hmm. So, and at that time, when, when they were dealing with uh, World War II-era firearms that were blue steel and wood, you, if you had rust, the weapon would seize, and, and it truly ceased to function, and, and it, was, it was a real problem. Today, your modern N4 carbine is made largely of synthetic materials. Right, and the metal materials that are there are either nickel boron, like the new Marine Corps, mm-hmm. um, uh, whatever the, what do they call it, the LRS, the the the, the, the basically the, the equivalent of the saw. Yeah. Right, is yep. a nickel boron mm-hmm. uh, action, or it's stainless. So a lot of the a lot of the contaminants don't stick to it anymore, or a lot of the rust doesn't stick. I should say rust. They don't rust anymore. So they either have a coating that doesn't rust, or the parts aren't even metal, so mm-hmm. they don't rust. The modern firearm has the problems that, it, that occur with it are um, directly the result of heat, pressure, and contamination. In, okay. You know, in, in that order, more or less, right? So you, particularly with an AR, you've got it dumping hot gases, unburnt powder, and carbon back into the action. Mm-hmm. Pistols also, same for the most part, whether it's a... A Glock a Sig in 1911, in particular, or, or or something that in that sort. So they're using the gases to cycle the weapon, and within those gases are contaminants. Mm-hmm. Over time, because of the heat and pressure, those things build up. They change the geometry of the parts. The parts shape changes, and they and they cease to function. Right, and so that's the greatest threat to to reliability. Right, or the velocity of the part changes as a result the, of drag. Art, right, yeah. every element. Right, and so to me, as a you know, as as a former infantry officer, is what is reliability? Reliability is how long can a weapon function? Can you clean it in a short amount of time, and can you get it back in the fight? Right, and you're not going to clean your weapon in the middle of a firefight, obviously, some point, but. If you had an hour, would you be better off improving your fighting position or sleeping or eating or doing any other thing besides cleaning your weapon if it could take you 
five minutes cleaning your weapons instead of 45. Right. To some obscure standard that some mm-hmm. guy in an armory decided was the case. And so that's what I worked back from. I said, look, we're, we're fundamentally looking at this in an antiquated, if not backward way. And so with EDCCLP, um, we looked at, we knew how to do all the components, right? We knew how to lubricate with a very high quality synthetic lubricant. We knew how to penetrate crevices that brushes and picks can't reach. Mm-hmm. We knew how to, um, uh, we, we knew what a, a dispersant was, which prevented the, uh, once, once the detergents that were in the, this, we knew what a detergent was. We knew how to clean a piece of metal off. And we knew what a dispersant was also to keep the, the parts from ring here, re-adhering to the metal. So if you had a wet lubricated action where that contamination was continually floating off the parts, it was not changing the shape of the parts. And when it came time to clean it, clean the firearm, you you disassembled your weapon system, you wiped it down, you relubed it, you got it back in the fight. Yep. And then you could eat, sleep, dig a hole, you know, connect communication wires, redo your Frago, Warno, whatever that you needed to do. The really important parts, not the sort of monkey tasks of taking your Leatherman and scraping things off or sneaking carb cleaner into to your cruiser mm-hmm. machine guns, right? So that was, that was the basis of it. And it took seven years of testing and hundreds of thousands of rounds. And so what I saw as a writer, not, not as less as an active duty um, soldier, but more as a writer, is um, at different shooting courses, day two, two and a half, three, guys' weapons are going down. Mm-hmm. And it was all about the inability to get them clean in parts that um, they weren't aware of or the standard um, maintenance uh, protocols didn't get it done. So the ability to just disassemble it, wipe the parts off, have nothing stick to it, put it back together, keep it running. And so it worked. Uh, it took a while. Um, we knew what the components were. It was getting the ratios right. It was the key part. Mm-hmm. And uh, was awarded a patent. It's awesome. And, and so, um, you know, the, the not only that did, did the users, but also the U.S. Patent Office determined that, yeah, this is novel and different. And no one else has thought of this before. And so we're proud of it. Uh, it it's, it's a grassroots product. We're not, you know, looking to, you know, brand it and shove it down anyone's throat. But for those who are looking for a, a superlative product that can um, improve their longevity, perhaps save their life, to have a weapon system that, that functions under stress over a long period of time. Um, we've tested everything from high altitudes and cold weather and dry weather to um, the jungles of Panama with uh, you know various U.S. forces there using it in their, not always publicly, but you know, mm-hmm. using it on their weapon system. So anyway, uh, I'd encourage your listeners to, to check it out. And so um, MDS-20. Um, is a, um, a discount code. Whoa, cool. You, yeah. guys, you guys hear that, man. Pay attention. MDS20, the discount code for some EDC CLP from my man, Len Waldron. Um, that's pretty cool, man. I've used this stuff. You sent me some. Um, it works fantastic on, on bolt actions. It works really well. I've been using on uh, bolt bodies. You know, the body, the body, the bolt, make sure that the bolt cycles and doesn't bind and uh, it, it's been working really well. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to use it in the dirt, like in the moon dust dirt, mm-hmm. you know, out there at the range with muzzle brakes and 
shit getting tossed around all the time. It's not nearly as bad as as Linda's range was. I mean, mm-hmm. you remember that place? Right, it was right. literally like composted sheep shit with fucking moon dust everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> it was terrible. And, and that's what it's designed to do. Like, and it can go right on top of your your existing lube. Like, you don't have to wipe it down with alcohol and clean it. It's yeah. it's Joe simple, right? Yep. It's it's put it right on top of it. So edcclp.com, um, MDS twenty. And uh, 20% discount. Check it out. Give it a try. Run it hard. Run it hot with your ARs, your cans, your bolt guns. As nasty as you can get it. That's that's where we love to hear feedback from people. So Right on, man. That's super cool. Um, and it was cool to watch you go through that process. And, um, you know, that's a... That's a that's not an easy process. It's not right? short you know, it's either. Not short. Right. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a lot of stress. It's a lot of... A lot of late nights in your garage doing it really... Obscure things that your neighbors call the police on, right? <laughs> man. Uh, well, cool, man. This was a good time. This is a good conversation. And um, so uh, you guys can expect a little review. We're going to do a little blue, um, a YouTube video on Lens Time here. We use the SIG uh, BDX, BDX system, yeah. which I think is really cool. It's one of those things that, um, you know, we were talking about it and joking when Len got here. I remember I said, uh, you know, my buddies, when we would talk about, um, you know, the Space Odyssey 2050 with precision rifles, what was it that we would want back in, you know, the early 2000s? And we said we wanted we wanted the ability to, to laze a target with a rangefinder and have a projected aiming point come onto the reticle. I mean, that was shit we were talking about 20 years ago. And now it's here. It's it's brought. It's been brought to fruition. Yeah, we we bang steel out to eight hundred yards today. Yeah, with almost flawlessly. Yeah, it was right. it was pretty cool to watch. It was pretty cool to see the technology at work. So, um, Len's going to take that down to Texas, prove it on an odd ad hunt, and um, we're going to put up a little a little YouTube blurb on it here shortly. And, and you can watch it on the show on yeah, uh, Wildcraft, right, Wildcraft. Uh, season two on Amazon Prime. So you want to be on yeah, TV, be fun, man. Yeah. TV, bro. The face made for radio is going to be on. It's going to be on television. So, you know, you know, for be forewarned. I'm sure it'll be uh, TV MA because of that. Uh, so yeah, it'll be fun. But hey, you know, we're we're talking to grownups here. Right? Well, so. man, thanks for coming, dude. Thank Honestly, you, Kim. Uh, I've been super happy to have you as a guest at the house and and uh, and go shooting at the range for a couple of days. And I'm looking forward to hearing about your about your upcoming hunt. Cool. Thank you, sir. Right on, guys. So, hey, thank you again for listening. And um, take a look. Uh, Modern Day Sniper, we have the schoolhouse going on. Our Circle of Components Clinic is live. If you guys haven't checked that out with, with the online training, please do. We are about ready to drop Fundamentals of Marksmanship here pretty short, which I'm super stoked about. This has been uh, a huge project, huge undertaking. And we're just uh, tremendously grateful for all the all the great feedback that you guys have given us. So thank you so much. And until next time, guys, shoot well and keep your face on the fucking gun.